Jeff Foss is lighting up that keyboard today, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. Thanks for coming to a church we call Journey. And we chose that name because we realized that in faith with God, life is a journey. And it's not always easy. I remember uh, uh, my Bible mentor at the time that was teaching me to become a pastor and, and, and encouraging me, saying, Journey's a tough church. It's a, it's a tough name. And that's what it really is. Life is on a journey, and it's tough to be in faith. So we're grateful that you're here today. Today, I want to ask questions. I want to ask questions. The truth is, I really don't want to hear your answer. Does that sound? I'm dead serious. But I want you to think about this sermon about questions, 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 questions. I'm going to ask some deep questions that maybe you've heard over the span of life. Worldly questions that people have talked about for thousands and thousands of years. And I also want to ask a good godly question. Questions are important. And I really want to kind of start the service off with a bunch of questions. Here's some deep worldly questions. What is the cause of change? What is the cause of change? The more that you ask yourself, the more it kind of stands out. What is the cause of change? That's something that people have been asking their whole life. How about this? Is humankind alone in this universe? Is mankind or humankind alone in this universe? Are we alone? I need to see if Moeller and the X-Files are available, but it's a question that many have thought. How about this? What is a thought? If you're saying that was a thought, what is a thought? What is it? And if you continue on in that same mindset, what is an idea? Where does it come from? These are questions people have been asking. If you've taken philosophy in class, they kind of meditate on these. and It's kind of annoying, actually, after a while. But this is what they've asked. Now, I don't know what your mind goes. I'm kind of one of those guys that just go, who did this? Who was the first to do this? Here's my question. Who invented coffee? Like, who decided to take a few beans off some random tree and put it in some water and heat it up and then go, oh, that's good? I mean, how did that come about? I just want to know. I mean, that's interesting. That's, that's the question that I have. I don't know what you guys have, but those are the, those are the deep uh, philosophical questions I grab. How about this one? This one's really serious, and hopefully I'll be able to answer that to you. What is the purpose of your soul? You get into a godly mindset and start thinking your soul. What is the purpose of your soul? What does it do? Is it like the appendix? Is the appendix even useful? They take it out and they act like it's no big deal. What is the purpose of your soul? And this is the question that everybody's going to remember the sermon about, and so I'll get it over with. This is probably a question you guys have been asking yourself since you were a little kid. Is Santa God's really rich brother? Yeah? This is for Dustin right there. He wants to know. There's a few kids in here, so I won't really answer that question because I don't want to break their heart. But uh, here's some of the questions. These are the kind of things that we ponder and think about. But as I think about these questions, these are questions that you look on a website, and these, they're things that people have been thinking about for thousands of years. But when you put faith in them, they seem to answer pretty easily. What is the cause of change? I know that in my life when I put Jesus in the middle of my heart and put him at the foot of the cross and said, my problems are yours, my life changed. 
Jesus in my life has been the cause of change. What about, am I alone in the universe? No. God breathed in the universe and I've got him. He's always on my side. My wife would say he's my best friend, so he's with you. I'm not alone. Where's the thought come from? That comes from God. Where does the brilliant idea of making coffee come from? Not from me. But thank God somebody heard that message. What does your soul do? Your soul is the exchange rate or your soul is the offering to God for your eternal life. It has great purpose. It's just something that you don't see. You don't feel. You don't understand until you get to the point point. you're like, wow, that was my soul? Crazy. Forget the Santa question. Sorry, Dustin. I've been waiting for that answer for years. Today we're going to talk about asking God questions. Anybody ever ask God questions? How about a better question? Anybody ever get an answer? That's good. That's good. Today we're going to talk about asking God questions. If you're new here, yep, this is what we do every week. We're a loving church. When you walk in and you're new, we love to love you. Sometimes to the point where people go, I can't go to that church. They love me too much. Brother Lowell looks for you and hugs you. Thanks, Brother Lowell, for that. Some people just can't handle it because they haven't got comfortable in their skin to accept God's love. And this is the mission of the church. So if you're here and this is your new first time or the first couple times, welcome. And listen, if you decide this isn't a good church for you, if you decide, that's eh, not for me, the guy's not that funny, he's dyslexic, whatever the problem that you might decide not to come or you've been here for a couple of weeks, months, or years and it's time to move on and we're okay with that. doesn't feel good, but we're okay with it. Take the, take the mission of love with you wherever you go and infiltrate that because that's what God really wants us to do. Send people out into the world in love. Now, here's the other thing I want to talk about. You should have seen first service. It was a disaster. Thankfully, I'm still alive because everything happened incorrectly. My mic got pulled out and nothing was working and Bonesaw broke the microphone. Everything was chaotic. And here's the thing. We're not a perfect church. If you're looking for perfection in a church, this ain't it. We're authentic. We're good, we're, we're good lovers of man and God, but we're not perfect. Jeremy kind of looks sometimes like he knows what he's talking about. Trust me, he's got huge flaws. <laughs> I got a list of them on here that, uh, just kidding. Sorry, Jeremy. Gosh. I was trying to be super nice there. <laughs> we're not a perfect church. We're not trying to seek perfect churches. And truthfully, we're not looking for perfect people. If that's you today, you could leave at some point, but this ain't the right spot for you. But we do have perfection in Jesus Christ, and that's what we aspire to. That's what we seek out and look for God to be the perfection in an imperfect world. Here's what I know as I was praying to God. If we're not perfect, what are we? We're flawed and forgiven. We're flawed and forgiven, and God wants to remind you that you're flawed, but you're forgiven, and you have an opportunity. Since the beginning of the fall season, since my daughters went back to school, we've been talking about a couple of things. The first thing we've been talking about is trying to become fearless. When we are struggling to go into new places in our life, we struggle with fear, right? Some people have big fears, and they can't even leave the community, they can't leave their house. They can't leave Ventura County or California. I'm a Californian. I'm like, why would you want to leave? But 
Yeah, thanks, Billy Keys. But we have fears, and for the first seven weeks, we talked about fears and trying to become fearless, and now we're trying to talk about riding through the storms in life. If you are here, you're probably going through some storms or have gone through some storms, and special. And this is what the story is. We're going through the book of Job, and we're trying to learn to ride through the storms, face our fears, and ride through the storms. How do I know that works is because that is what I've had to do in my own life. I've had to look at my failures, look at my issues, look through a jail cell door and say, is this what my life is all about? And taking that step to get beyond it. And so for six weeks, we're going through the book of Job and we're not doing it through uh, verse by verse. What we're doing is trying to answer some questions. We see in Job that there's a real struggle in life. We see in Job that pain is the great test of marriage and friends can be a blessing, but they also can be a curse. We've talked about, is God sovereign or is God in control? We've also talked about, is, where does wisdom come from? And Job is a book of wisdom. It's, in the book of, it's a poetry, but also a wisdom text. And today we're going to talk about, is it okay to question God? Job has questioned God throughout his book. If you've read it, it's got 42 verses. There's all kinds of questioning of God. Is it appropriate? And are some of his questions uh, right in the way that he's asking them? What we see is we see a man that's, that's honorable to God, that's got integrity, that's blameless, that comes before God with an honest question, heartfelt and seeking God in his situation. That's what we see. One of the things that Job gives us is he gives us something, and this kind of blows me away because Job was the first book written, and as one of the first books written, he knew about a redeemer, and here's what our memory verse says. Is this going to happen all day? It was just like first service, except at least I can hear myself. Job 19.25 is our memory verse for this series. It says, I know that my redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand upon this earth. I know that my Redeemer lives. He knew in the very beginning that his Redeemer was alive and well. He felt it. He understood it. And he knew that his Redeemer lived. And in the end, God is going to stand upon this earth. One time to be crucified and another time to come back and gather his army. And that's what he knew. And today we're going to continue on. We're going to go to Job 30. And we're going to see him reach out to God and start asking some questions because he's struggling. One thing that we know about Job that he didn't know is that the devil or the enemy, Satan, it says, and God have like a little wager or some sort of deal going on to look at Job and see how faithful and how amazing he is. That's what he sees. Job doesn't know that. If you're in your life today and you have some sort of struggle, you might be in that same category. God's doing something and you might never know until you meet your maker and he puts your arm around you and says, well done. My good, faithful servant. It's going to be a long day. So if you're able to stand, let's stand and read from Job chapter 30, verse 20 to 23. I cry to you, O God, but you never answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. You have become cruel toward me. You use your power to persecute me. You throw me into a whirlwind and you destroy the storm. You destroy me in the storm, sorry. I know that you are, you are sending me to death 
the destination of all who live. Today, as we come before God and open up his word and read it, which is holy and righteous and the thing that transforms us, ask God to speak to you. Answer a question that maybe you've had before him. But ask God to speak and minister, and I'm going to ask him to use me so that he can communicate to uh, hundreds of us in this room. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. For those that have storms, as we go through those storms, Lord, teach us how to ride through them. For those that have profound questions that have never been answered, Lord, start ministering to us so that we can understand what you have and how you can move us out of those things that are holding us back. Lord, we come before you with your love and grace and mercy, asking you to speak to all of us so that we can all grow closer to you, Lord. You're a good, a good, good father. That's who you are. Thank you for the love that you give me. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Bill, yeah, you want to do that? Fosses can't take it anymore. I don't know if I could take it anymore. One second. Here, take this. This is old school for me. I love this version anyways. This makes me feel a little bit more free. So um, here's something from Bill Smilly. Smilly? It's not really smiley because it's got two L's. Millie. Smilly. There you go, Millie. It says, the deepest learning comes from change and vice versa. What does vice versa mean? Play it backwards. It says, the deepest learning comes from change and vice versa. The deepest change comes from learning. But here's what he really says that's intriguing. It says, in either case, a powerful question is a great place to start. If you've ever come to a place where you need to make some radical changes, a powerful question comes, and that's a great place to start. When I was sitting in a jail cell many years ago, I had to come to a question. Is this my life? Is this what I'm going to be the rest of my life? Or is there something different? Was some of the things that people were trying to tell me true? Because my own will and my own way got me to that place. That was a big question that I had to ask, and it was a great starting point. Many of us have that same type of question, maybe not in the same area, but the same question. Is God for me, or is he against me? That's where we start today. Job is stuck on this question. Why me, God? What's happened? This, this switch was like flipped like an on-off switch, and now all of a sudden my life is in, in tatters. I'm destroyed. I've got no family. I've got no wealth. My wife told me to just die. And now he's got a bunch of friends who first loved him by mourning with him, and now they're berating him and judging him, saying that he's less than, and he's got great sin in his life. Just confess it and let it go. But Job is stuck. And you'll see the solution next week as it comes. I had someone come up and go, oh, well, there's a whole bunch of things at the end of the Bible. I said, we'll get to the end of the story. 
Next week, come back and you'll get a good part of the story. Today, we're asking, can you question God? Can you make questions to God? And is the question, why God, an appropriate question? That's what we're trying to figure out. God's answers, and you hear this a lot. This is like a Christian famous saying. It's like, oh, let's pray about it, and God's answers you don't understand. Those are like two common things. You just don't understand what God's doing. Well, the truth is, a lot of times we really don't. A lot of times we really can't comprehend because we're human beings and he is a spiritual being. We don't understand the two. It's a different language. It's a different mindset. It's a different being. Plus, he's the creator and he sees things completely different and he's not bound by time. We don't understand what God is doing. We aren't capable of comprehending. And sometimes he gives us the world famous, most annoying answer, apparent answer that you've ever heard. What is it? Because I said so. You know what? When I was a young kid, 7, 8, 9, 10, 20, I guess. I said it a lot until I was, probably still do. I, I would ask my parents and my mom and my dad would say very famously, because I said so. That's why. Now as a parent, man, I really understand that philosophy. It's great wisdom, Right? But listen, we laugh about it. We think about because I said so. But when God the Father says, this is just how it is because I said so. This is what's going to happen. Do you ex accept that? I know I didn't accept it as a kid. But as I get older, as I, I, as I get older, I understand more. And I go, man, if I can tell my kids because I said so, can I also accept it if that's what God says? Because he said so. I want to talk a little bit about kids' questions. I want to talk to you a little bit. I was reading something on, on a, a blog yesterday, and I found this place about questions. And I was telling my, my family at dinner last night, and I said, there was this one site that said a girl between uh, uh, six or younger asked 390 questions a day growing up. That's every 52 seconds, another question all day. Not sleeping, just questioning. And, of course, my daughter says... Where'd you get those statistics? That's got to be wrong, right? <laughs> Asking a question. <laughs> but kids ask questions. We have been raised to ask questions and to question things because that's how we get to grow and understand things. Here's kind of a dialogue between a, a, a mom and her seven-year-old son. Mom, are there more leaves in the world or blades of grass? Mom's like, ah. Blades of grass? Instantly, the next question is, what about trees? Are there more trees than buildings? She's like, ah. trees. Yeah, I think trees. The kid continues, are there more bricks in the world or birds' feathers? It just keeps going. And she goes, what is the new app you got on your phone? I'd like to talk about that, something I could grasp and understand. Kids ask questions that only God would know. Blades of grass? Things on the, uh, leaves on the tree, things on the tree, leaves on the tree. Those are things that only God can know, but we are trained to ask questions because that's how we learn. That's brown. That's blue. Don't touch that. It's hot. Don't do that. It's wrong. And we have to ask questions so that we can truly get to the person that we're trying to be. If we never grab a hold of the answers and continue to ask questions and never take truth, it can be detrimental. And that's what we see Job communicating. We are asked in our whole life,
questions. We are raised to ask questions. We teach our kids to go and ask your teacher and try and learn. And that's what we see here. Is it okay to ask God questions? Listen to what Gerhard Terstegen says. And this comes out of my commentary that I was reading. It's a quote from a, a guy that was a, a, a great Bible man. He says, as long as we want to be different from what God wants us to be at that time, we are only tormenting ourselves to no purpose. When we think we know better than what God knows and he, we want to move out of that place, we're basically tormenting ourselves to no purpose. If you've ever been questioning God and his plan in your life or what is he doing, you're tormenting yourself to no purpose. And you're basically going round and around to the point where you're pulling your hair out, just like that mom answering a bunch of questions. Enough already. You've asked 100 questions in three minutes. And you don't want to tell them you don't know the answer because then they go, my mom's dumb. She doesn't know anything. <laughs> it's not a good projection to, a projection to have. The issue is not whether we should question God. You should know that we should question God. But what is the manner and what is the intent of that question? That's what we're really seeing. And that's what we look to Job. It's not really about the question or whether we should, but in what reason, in what manner should we question him? How should that work, basically? That's what we're trying to understand. Questioning God is good if you have right motives. Questioning God is good if your motives and your heart is right. That's what we're trying to see. And you're going to see a little bit later that Job is coming to this place of, of, of giving great motive and cause because he's in this place of struggle. Questioning God, you want to be honest. You want to be open. And you want to lay it before the cross and ask him and say, is this right? And let those questions take you on a journey in your life to become righteous and holy. And in his will and doing things for his purpose. That is the purpose of questions. Not to question right or wrong and if he's good or bad. God is good all the time. And if you're questioning that, you're going to be tormenting yourself to no purpose. You just don't understand what good is. And you got to ask him that. What is good? He is good. It starts with this. This is the foundation of this message. It comes from Hebrews 11:6. 6. This is the foundation. It says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't have any faith in your life, it's impossible to please God. That's the beginning of all things to come to. Without faith, it's impossible. But look, at it continues. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So if you want to go to God and ask him a question, the first thing you need to do is believe that he exists. Otherwise, you're coming to someone, he's like, I'm not going to listen. You don't even believe me. You're an agnostic. You're an atheist. You don't even believe. Why are you going to question me? And then it comes to the end and says, um, and he, the rewards, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He doesn't say, and I will answer all your little questions that you have. Look for them in your inbox. That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reward you. Now, rewards are different than answering questions, right? Have you ever, there was a guy I, I knew that uh, lost $12,000 uh, in a shopping cart. He left it shopping. And somebody returned the money, and he gave him like 100 bucks, 50 bucks, right? The guy returned it and was like, 12000 you got a reward of 50 bucks. Pretty good. But I had another friend of mine, he was in first service, got a wallet, and he had 800 bucks cash in it, found the person, took it to his house and said, here's your wallet. And the guy's like, whoa, thank you so much, and took all 800 bucks out and gave it to the guy. 
I wish that was me. <laughs> it's Christmas season. We could use a little bit of seed money. Rewards are different. You would think the guy with thousands of dollars that lost 12000 you know, would give two, $3,000. Goes, 8000 is better than no 1000 right? And I'm, I went to Chico, but I know that there's a little difference between no 1000 and a lot of thousands, right? <laughs> Rewards are different. And that's what we got to see with God is he's like, I want to reward you, but it might not be in the way that you see and the way that you understand. And that's where we're at today. Job is in chapter 30, and he's been lambasted by his friends, continually questioning his motives and morals, and he's done with them. He comes to the end, and he's at what we call a discourse or a place of closing statements. Job is not going to communicate much more in the Bible after this. 29, 30, and even 31, and then he's done. He's giving his closing statements like he would in a trial. He's like, I'm done listening to you guys. And beyond this, then another fourth friend is going to come into the scene and take over for several chapters. And then at the end, and we'll talk about this next week, God shows up and says some probably one of the most, some of the most amazing stuff in the Bible. And so we'll get to that next week. But Job is on this discourse, and he's kind of laying out a few things. And here's what he's saying. I have no respect. I have no blessing. I have no help. I have no future. And I have no ministry. And that brings him to this point, crying out to God, laying out his case, saying, where are you, Lord? So here's what it says. I want to go back in and talk a little bit about this to build up this case that he's trying to make. In, verse tw in chapter 29, he's talking about what life used to be. And in chapter 30, he's talking about the reality. So we're going to toggle back and forth so that you can grab a hold of what he's trying to say. And in, in, in the beginning, he says, I have no respect, but I used to have great respect. I have no respect, but I used to have great respect. Job uh, 29.7 says, Those were the days when I went into the city gate and I took my place among the honored leaders. There was moments when I was, I can remember the days just a few weeks ago when I was an honored leader at the city gates. That's what the council and the leaders of the town would do, would sit at the city gates and watch people come in. And they were the leaders managing the city. Because those were the days I had so much respect. But now in verse 30, the reality is, but now I am mocked by people younger than I, by young men whose fathers aren't even worthy to run my sheepdogs. I would say that's probably a bad job in that day. You're the sheepdog runner. What do you do? I'm a sheepdog runner. Job is saying, I can't even get any respect from the lowest of low. But I used to have great respect. Then he says, I have no blessing, but I used to have so much blessing, so much richness in my life. 29.2, he says, I long for the years gone by when God took care of me, when he lit up the way before me, and I walked safely through the darkness. When I was in my prime, God's friendship was felt in my home. Man, those were the days when I was blessed, when God was the fellowship in my house. He was the thing that was alive that made the family right. Those were the days. But now, 30, 16, and now my life seeps away. Depression haunts my days. At night, my bones are filled with pain, which gnaws at me relentlessly. I can't even get comfortable in my sleep. There's so much pain. I'm in depression. My life is just seeping away to nothing. There's no purpose. And then he says, I have no future. I used to have a great future, but now I have nothing. 29.18 talks about what he thought the end of his life was going to be. 
I thought, surely I will die surrounded by my family after a long, good life. Have you ever watched someone that's lived a long, good life pass? There's 20 or 30 people in the hospital room. And if it's a Christian, they're singing hymns and songs and worship, celebrating because they're going to God. That's what it's supposed to be like for those that are faithful. There's a line and the next 30 come in. That's not what's happening. Now he says, I walk in gloom, verse 30, 28. Without sunlight, I stand in the public square and I cry for help. I have no future. And now I don't have any ministry. I used to have great ministry. Listen, this is my favorite part. 29, he talks about ministry, 21 to 25. Everyone listened to my advice. They were silent as they waited for me to speak. And after I spoke, they had nothing to add, for my counsel satisfied them. They longed for me to speak as people longed for the rain. They drank my words like a refreshing spring rain. They were dis when they were discouraged, I would smile at them. My look of approval was precious to them, like a chief. I told them what to do. I loved like a king among his troops and comforted those that mourned. Man, I used to have a dynamic ministry in this city. People came to me and I would bring healing and hope and joy. But now my ministry's gone. Everything is eroded away. And he says, instead, I'm considered a brother to the jackals and a companion to the owls. I'm looked at as an animal because of what's happened to me. I have no ministry. And then he comes and now he's laying out his final discourse. And he says, I, I have no help. I don't know where God is. Where are you? I used to have you. You were so dynamic and now I have no help. And then he goes, but look, at, I used to be a help to so many. Job 29, 12, where I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope and they blessed me. I caused widows' hearts to sing for joy, and everything I did was honest. Man, was I a help, and did it not only help them, but it truly helped me so that I can be right with God. And that brings us back to 30, 20, 21, uh, 21 and 22. It says, I cry out to you, God, but you're no longer there. The switch is off, and you used to be so dynamic, and I could just feel you just a couple weeks ago, and now my life is in a shamble. It's like you're punishing me. I don't even, I, I stand before you, but you don't look at he, me, he, me, he says. You have become cruel. You use your power to persecute. You throw me into a whirlwind. You destroy me in the storm. I just know you're sending me to death. Just let it go. I'm ready to die. I've laid my case before you. Where are you, God? We know the story, but he doesn't. We know that Satan is challenging the uh, God to see how strong this man can be. He might be challenging you to see how righteous you might be in the struggles that you're going through. That's what God does. His job is not to bring great comfort all the time, but to ultimately build character. My job is to raise good, healthy Christian women to be right with God and live a good, godly life so that in generation to generation, they're going to look back at these Christian women and go, man, they have had an impact in their own family and their community. That's our job, and that's God's job to raise his children the same way. And now Job is in that place, and he's saying, where are you, man? It's like you're gone. And he's questioning. But Job's questions are correct. They're not childish, irrational. Well, why? What about the leaves and the birds? 
They're righteous. They're open-hearted and honest, motivated for God to show up. The cries of the persecuted, those who are desperate for God to intervene or desperate for salvation or sanctification, those are the type of questions God wants to hear. Those are the things that God wants to do. He wants you on your hands and knees seeking him. Man, and then in first service, you couldn't believe it. But there were so many people in here that had so much loss and pain. Unbelievable. Six or seven families that had lost a child. A woman that just lost her husband and she couldn't believe it. But because of the loss of her husband, she's drawn closer to God than she's ever had. And she's in utter pain every day. But she reached out to God and God showed up. And in her pain, they're having this dynamic relationship. Because she asked a correct question like Job is submitting before God. Now listen, the answers aren't always exactly what you want to hear or what you want to hear at all. But there's still a good answer. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait, sometimes it's later, sometimes try again. Sometimes yes. Sincere questions from your heart, seeking God in certain ways, are the right way to communicate to God. Asking him questions. Insincere questions or questions that are hypocritical, judging and complaining. This is you, God? This is what you do? Those aren't the questions that are right, and he's not going to answer those, and he's not going to bring forth any fruit from that because that's opposite of what he wants. He refrains from that stuff because he knows you're just spinning your wheel and tormenting yourself and not accepting that he is all things. He is sovereign, and he is in control, and because I said so. This week I was praying. I was walking my dog, and I was praying And I'm like, Lord, what do you want to say about questions? And he gave me this one thing, and it was weird when I first wrote it down. And he says, there's some people in here that have been asking questions that are wrong. He says, there's people in this church that have been asking me wrong questions. And I said, okay, what do you do with that? He says, tell them to pray to me what's the right question. I've been asking you this question, but Lord, what's the right way to say it? You know, in a, in a, in a, in a trial, they'll say objection, and then they'll go, okay, let me rephrase the question. God's saying some of you need to rephrase your question because you're off and it's insincere and it's from a different place. And he says, I want you to be honest about it and really think about what's best for the kingdom, not just yourself. Does that make sense? So I want to close with four takeaways. I want to give you four things. When I open up the word of God, it comes and it says it's got to be active. I believe that the Bible is alive. That's what the Bible tells us. It's a double-edged sword that's alive and it, and it pierces and, and does great things. So when I read it, this is the cause for change. And I'm not telling you this because I get royalty from Bible sales. What I'm telling you is the dust off your Bible Put the cup of coffee on the other side and pick it up. Go in the garage and find it and utilize it. Because you will see what kind of questions. Throughout the Bible, many people have asked questions. So here's four takeaways. First of all, be careful if you ask God a righteous, holy, God-felt question. Be careful of his answer. Lord, I want to be in ministry. Lord, I want to be a missionary. Lord, I want to serve and do anything you want me to do. Lord, just send me. Do this and I will promise you I'll, I'll give you everything. Be careful. I get a lot of people go, well, what do you do all week? 
couple hours on Sunday, that's all? You got the best job in the world, and I do. But I also got some of the hardest things to do in life as well. Pastors and ministry workers and missionaries, their life is hard. If you're a missionary and on mission this Christmas season, you're usually away from your family. And they got to sacrifice that. Pastors, my old pastor Ed, his wife died. Britt Merrick, great pastor in, in Carpinteria, his daughter died at 10 years old. Life is in session. Be careful of the answer because we don't understand what God is saying. And you might not like the response. And I'm going to tell a personal story. And sorry, guys. But I'm going to tell a, a family story. My wife and her brothers and uh, my father-in-law, we call him Nacho, but it's actually Ray. Um, several years ago, they've had some tragedy in their family. They lost a son when he was 12. And then eight or nine years later, they lost a mom. My wife lost her mom. And there was questions. God, why would you take this faithful woman that had raised me? And I'm sure Ray sat back and said, why would you take my beautiful wife who was righteous and in church the whole time? They question, which we do when we lose something. And the truth is, if God would have told them the answer the first month, the first year, the first couple years, I'm sure none of them wouldn't like the answer. Because here's the truth, and, and my wife is the one that's kind of shared this with our family. Because of the loss of a mother, would you never want to lose your mother, especially at an early age, my father-in-law remarried this beautiful woman, Irene, and this other family, the Garcia family, has come into our life and come in to become Christians because of Jesus Christ. They've come before the Lord and they've submitted, and now they're impacting their family and the family around them, and it keeps evolving. And by the end of their life, they're going to touch hundreds, if not thousands of people. And God says, that was my plan. And the truth is, if you told me that two years, three years, five years later, it's not a good enough answer for me because I'm hurting and I lost. Be careful of the answer. We don't comprehend that. We don't comprehend what I'm trying to do. Yes, you lose a family member, but more people come to the kingdom. What are you about? My kingdom of yourself. So just know the first takeaway is be careful. The answer might be ungodly to some might be hurtful but it might be truly godly and truly kingdom oriented the second thing is accept whatever he says and then do it one of the things that's part of my lexicon or my vocabulary is learn to accept things accept them for what they are doesn't mean that I like it but I have to learn to accept it accept whatever the issues are as an alcoholic and, and a drug addict I don't drink anything I have to accept that it's not who I am. That's part of life, and we have to learn that. The, the th second thing is we got to learn to accept it. Don't be like Jonah. Receives a message from God and says, I don't like that. I'm going the other way because God is going to torment him and bring him back to that place and use him or someone else to fulfill what he said, and ultimately you're going to be spun, spun in torment, rotting in the belly of a fish if you don't follow God. Accept what he's telling you, telling you to do and just do it and not fight and torment yourself. The third thing, the third thing we see is we never lose faith. And I'm going to invite the band back up, uh, sing a couple of songs to close out. But the third thing is to never lose faith. The book of Job, to me, 
is about a man that never lose faith. He fights and he kicks and screams and he cries out to the Lord. He's kind of at his final discourse. He's challenging God. He's like, where are you? I'm broken. We used to be so good together. But he never loses his faith, never curses God. Never lacks in that relationship, even when he doesn't feel it. If you've ever seen someone angry at the world because of something in their life that's taken them uh, away from God, they struggle. They struggle connecting with God, and they lose their relationship, and they blame God. He's an enemy. He's against me. And the truth is, Job teaches us, don't do that. Stay faithful. Never lose your faith. And the last one is, my favorite one, is to continue to seek the Lord. To have him act on your behalf. Father, come in and act on your behalf to change my circumstances. Change the way that we do things. Go to the word of God and continue to read. Even if you don't get an answer the first day, the first week, the first month, continue to read because that's how he speaks. And if you don't hear it in your mind, in your soul, you're receiving these words of love and truth and wisdom so that you can learn to live those words out and let them come forth when they need to. Never give up. Continue to seek. That's really the mission of God. It's not the destination that we're trying to get to. One day we're going to be in heaven regardless. But on the journey, on the path that we're getting there, we're to continue to see God work and move. And in our trials, we watch God work and his hand come upon us. And in our joys, we celebrate and share that with other people. We never give up. The Bible tells us of many people who have questioned God. Can you name a few? This is an actual question you can answer. Finally. Name a few people that have questioned God. Moses. Joseph. Noah. Peter, David, how about Sarah, Abraham, Adam, you guys need to get some Bible study going on. There are a bunch of people in the Bible that have questioned God and they all had good questions. Moses was fighting with God. Gideon was like ridiculous. But God still answered. People question God, but we are to seek his faith. Jesus was a man of questions. And he gave us great answers. The Bible is to teach us how to look at questions correctly. And how to decipher, how to communicate with God. Here's my last verse today. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, verse 7 and 8, it says this. Hear, O Lord... When I cry out loud, hear when I'm crying out to you, O Lord. Be gracious to me and answer. That's a good way. Lord, be gracious. Listen as I cry out to you. But here's my favorite part. He says, you said, the psalmist writes, you said, seek my face. And he says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. When you're going through a trial and you're questioning the things that are happening, go with an open heart with good motives, seeking God and all that he's doing, seeking his heart, seeking his will, seeking his face, looking into his word to see a solution that's for him and not just you personally. Because God thinks above here about kingdom things and we think about Jeff things. Well, you guys don't, but I do. God wants to challenge us to come before him. And question the right way with good motives, good health, good-hearted good questions that are for his kingdom. Some of those questions are, 
Are you into my kingdom or not in my kingdom? Are you a believer or a non-believer? And that's where we close today. There's people in this room that need to make that commitment. That I'm no longer on my own. I'm going to bring in the Savior of the universe. And you should accept that. And receive all the blessings. So let's just close our eyes. Ask God to speak. For some of you, you need to restate that question. Rephrase, rephrase that question. And God says he wants to minister to you and talk to you about it. And reward you. But the people that need Jesus... They've questioned their faith and their purpose. The thing that they can do this holiday season is give their life to Jesus Christ. And you do it by saying a prayer of salvation. And here it is. If that's you today, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died upon the cross. And in three days you rose for me and my eternal life. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit, Father, so that I can be full of your Spirit and blessed each and every day beyond today. Thank you, Lord, for welcoming me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.